Welcome to The Rundown, your source for the latest news and updates from the Kansas Legislative Division of Post Audit, featuring LPA staff talking about recently released audit reports and discussing their main findings, key takeaways, and why it matters. I'm Andy Brienzo. In September 2022, Legislative Post Audit released a performance audit that evaluated COVID relief funding and distribution. I'm with Heidi Zimmerman, Principal Auditor at Legislative Post Audit, who supervised the audit. Heidi, welcome to The Rundown. Thanks for having me, Andy. So to get started, can you just give me a little bit of background on what brought this audit about? Sure. So in 2020 and 2021, the federal government appropriated about $5 trillion to address the COVID pandemic. Uh, Much of that money ended up going to the states in some form or another. Uh, But for certain funds, the the federal government gave the states a lot of discretion in distribution. Um, Basically told the states, we're going to send you money. Uh, You guys decide how to distribute that money out and kind of what what ways make the most sense for your state. And so there was a a legislative concern about how Kansas uh, distributed those funds, kind of what that process was, was, and whether that process was appropriate. So how much money did Kansas receive? So Kansas received about $34 billion. Uh, Most of that money, though, came with a very specific purpose that was set by the federal government. So, for example, the federal government sent uh, some funds to the Department of Education uh, for K-12 education. Uh, Those funds are more commonly known as ESSER funds. And so the state uh, cannot take those ESSER funds and decide to spend them in some other way. They must be spent on K-12 education. So most of the $34 billion that the state received works in that way. But there was a small portion, about $2.6 billion, uh, that was discretionary. Uh, That money came by way of the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan, which is also known as ARPA, Uh, And within some broad parameters, the state could decide how to distribute that money and where that money would be spent. Okay, so let's talk about the CARES Act first. How did Kansas distribute those funds? So there was a lot of discretion in this process. Uh, The federal government did provide some guidance to states and how the money could be used. And so that money has to be used uh, for For uh, necessary expenditures that were incurred due to COVID, Uh, the expenditure has to have been incurred between March 1st of 2020 and December 31st of 2021, and the item must not have been budgeted for prior to March 27th of 2020. And so the federal government set some very kind of broad rules on how the money could be spent, um, but did not set a lot of rules for how uh, that distribution process would take place. Uh, So to distribute about $1 billion in CARES Act discretionary money, the state used a process that involved a task force and then also the state finance council. So in May of 2020, the governor established the Strengthening People and Revitalizing Kansas Task Force, also known as SPARC. Uh, SPARC at that time uh, had a five-member executive committee and then a 15-member steering committee. And SPARC recommended that CARES Act money be distributed in three rounds. So the first round happened in June of 2020, and SPARC allocated about $400 million uh, in that first round to county governments. 
And that money was distributed on a per head basis. So each county received about $194 uh, per head. Um, There was an exception there, and that was Johnson County and Sedgwick County. Those two counties received their money directly from the federal government. So instead of it coming to the state and then being spent out or sent out, uh, they just received their money directly. So the counties could spend or distribute that money um, to other local governments like city, uh, city governments. They could distribute that money to schools, nonprofits, businesses, or the county could spend it themselves for, uh, you know, county operations. So, um, but in August of 2020, Spark then distributed the second round, and that was about $314 million, and that went to state agencies. Um, that money went for specific projects under uh, some specific categories. And so those categories were public health, education, connectivity, and economic development. So those agencies created proposals for spending those funds. And then Spark voted on the, on the proposals. And the State Finance Council gave the final approval for which proposals um, would receive funding. The third round happened in September of 2020. And Spark allocated the last uh, $290 million. And that money went to, again, to state agencies and then also some other organizations like the Housing Resource Corporation. And that money was for uh, essential needs and business resiliency, workforce support, uh, public health, and then also for continuity of operations for state agencies. And for most of that money, though, Spark made a recommendation, and then the State Finance Council again made the final approval. And the other funding distributions have come through ARPA funds. So how did Kansas distribute those funds? So ARPA funds have been distributed in in a pretty different way. Uh, So first of all, the state received about $1.6 billion in ARPA discretionary funds. And a lot of those funds are still being distributed uh, right now. Uh, So similar to the CARES Act, uh, the federal government did provide quite a bit of discretion in the process, but then set some broad rules for how the money could be spent. So ARPA funds can be spent in one of four ways. Uh, First of all, though, the money has to be, it has to be for something that was incurred between March 3rd of 2021 and December 31st of 2024. And then it has to be spent in one of those four categories. So those categories are uh, responding to the COVID emergency or its negative economic impacts, uh, premium pay to essential workers, government services that experience reduced revenue, or it can be used for investments in water, sewer, or broadband infrastructure. So uh, the state received, uh, like I said, about $1.6 billion dollars. And $1 billion of that has been appropriated by the legislature. And they appropriated that money for things like uh, the Unemployment Insurance Fund, uh, rural hospitals, higher education, and housing were just some of the things that they appropriated money for. So that leaves uh, around $600 million for SPARC. And SPARC has already distributed about $272 million. Uh, and they, they distributed that for things like frontline care workers, and uh, economic development and education. The remaining $374 million is still in process. Uh, but Spark does have a process for distributing that $374 million. Uh, but it started with soliciting ideas 
uh, from state agencies, county governments, uh, businesses, and also just the general public. And Spark received over 800 ideas for how to spend uh, that those funds. And so far, Spark has narrowed it down to about 100 ideas. And those were based on things like feasibility, whether other funding already existed, and whether the expenditure might have a high impact. So St Spark is still evaluating those ideas, but they will make recommendations to the State Finance Council for final approval. They just haven't done so yet. Now, the second objective of this audit was to determine whether COVID relief funding has been distributed appropriately. How did you evaluate this? So in this question, we actually only evaluated CARES Act, uh, the CARES Act process, and some CARES Act spending as well. A lot of the ARPA spending uh, is still in process, and some of that funding hasn't even been distributed. Um, additionally, much of the distribution for ARPA uh, was made by the legislature. And so just for the professional independence of this office, uh, it would be inappropriate for us to review how the legislature chose to distribute the money. So as a result of those two things, we, we only looked at CARES Act uh, in this objective. But in this objective, we actually ended up evaluating two things. First, the distribution process, and then second, some CARES Act spending. So to assess the process, uh, as I mentioned before, the states had broad discretion in what kind of process to set up. And so there weren't any real metrics um, from, say, the federal government uh, to evaluate that process against. So we used kind of a reasonableness standard. Uh, we also chose to evaluate some spending in this objective because, first of all, there were some legislative concerns, not just about how the money was distributed, but also how this money has been spent. And second, as we evaluated this process uh, and some of the rules and the federal guidance, we realized uh, that a lot of the spending here was at very high risk of waste. And so we went ahead and reviewed some spending as well. So to evaluate the spending, though, we chose a sample of about $18 million in CARES Act spending. And that spending was across 42 different Kansas counties. We reviewed receipts and invoices and other documents just to understand exactly what the funds were, were spent on. And then we also reviewed the federal allowability rules uh, to make sure that that spending was in alignment with those rules. And what did you find about the appropriateness of how COVID relief funding was distributed in Kansas? So we thought that the process uh, that the state used to distribute money appeared uh, appropriate and reasonable. Um, and we thought that for a few different reasons. First of all, uh, the number of people that were uh, involved in the process and contributed across all those people, there was a wide variety of backgrounds. So there were business people, people with legal backgrounds, legislative backgrounds. Uh, there were also people across a lot of different kinds of uh, Kansas industries like aerospace and farming, uh, some people in the banking industry as well. And so we thought that the different, the very, the various perspectives um, was really a positive to the process. The task force also considered whether spending was allowable, and, and that was just kind of baked into the process and was just kind of part of how they, how they did things. Um, you know, they used a consultant to help review certain proposals to make sure that they were allowable. Um, and then the Office of Recovery, which is a, a temporary office that sits within the governor's office, 
Um, and, and the Office of Recovery has been tasked with facilitating SPARKS work and also managing a variety of aspects uh, with just COVID relief funds generally. But the Office of Recovery provided a great deal of training to the counties and to the agencies to help make sure that they knew what types uh, of things they could spend those funds on. Uh, we also thought that the county distribution method was, was logical and it was fair. It provided the same per head amount to all counties first, and then it added some additional money based on some relevant things like COVID counts at that time and uh, unemployment rates. And so overall, uh, we really thought this process seemed uh, very appropriate and, and reasonable for, for what it was trying to accomplish. You also said that the team evaluated whether the funds were spent in ways the federal government said were allowable. So what did you find out about how CARES Act funds were spent? So first of all, our findings here are not projectable. Uh, we did not choose these, these expenditures randomly. Uh, we chose them uh, based on a risk assessment. And so because they weren't random, our, our results are not projectable to, to the whole. But we looked at $18 million in expenditures out of about a billion dollars in CARES Discretionary Act uh, funding. And these expenditures were made by counties and cities. There were a few school districts in there, uh, some private businesses as well, and some nonprofits too. So we tried to get good coverage in terms of the different kinds of entities spending the money. Um, as I've kind of mentioned before, the federal rules for CARES Act spending were pretty broad. Uh, it had to be necessary, uh, a necessary expenditure incurred due to COVID, occurred between March 1st of 2020 and December 31st of 2021. And then the item must not have been budgeted uh, for before March 27th of 2020. Uh, so those are pretty, are reasonably broad rules. Uh, but we compared the spending to those federal rules to determine whether we thought that spending was allowable. And most of what we reviewed did appear to be allowable. So about 85% or about $15 million appeared to us to be clearly allowable. And those, those expenditures were, were for things like personal protective equipment, food supplies, uh, paying for COVID-related sick leave. Um, those were the kinds of things in that category. Uh, there was a second category. It's about 15% or around $3 million, though, that was just unclear to us. Uh, the federal rules are very broad. They don't define necessary. And so some of the things in this category were a little bit of a judgment call. So some of the things uh, that were in this category were things like electronic signs and security systems. Uh, one county that we reviewed spent over $200,000 on large electronic signs that could be placed at the border of each town in the county. Uh, officials told us that they could convey COVID-related messages on those boards, um, but whether that really represents a necessary expenditure uh, is a little bit debatable. So while we think a lot of this spending is probably allowable, uh, we cannot really be sure how the federal government is going to view it. And then we had one last category. It's very small, less than 1% of the money that we reviewed uh, only about $48,000 that we think is probably going to be unallowable. And that included expenditures for things like flu vaccines, donuts, and coffee were in there. Uh, there were some costs that were unallowable simply because they incurred in, or they were incurred in February of 2020. The federal rules say it can't be incurred prior to March 1st. 
Um, so there were kind of a variety of things in that category. Um, but it was ultimately a, a pretty small uh, number of things that we saw that we're pretty sure are going to be unallowable. Uh, I should note here, though, that this is our assessment of allowability. And ultimately, it's going to be up to the federal government to decide whether an expenditure is unallowable. Uh, but if they decide that an expenditure is unallowable, then the recipient will have to pay the money back. Okay. And you also evaluated CARES Act spending for reasonableness. Now, what does this mean and what did you find? During our review, we noted a number of expenditures that might be allowable, but raised some other concerns. Um, given the very broad nature of federal allowability rules, most expenditures were likely to be allowable, but an allowable expenditure might not be a reasonable or a prudent one. So we evaluated the funding essentially a second time with an eye towards whether the expenditure seemed reasonable. We looked at the expenditure in terms of whether or not, you know, was it wasteful or did it seem excessive? Uh, was it questionable in some other way? Um, just basically overall, you know, did it seem like a, a reasonable and prudent use of, of the fund? Um, so when we made that kind of second review, we found that about three quarters of the money that we reviewed did seem reasonable. Uh, it didn't appear wasteful or excessive. And overall, it seemed like a prudent use of funds that were meant to address a COVID-related necessity. The other quarter uh, raised a few issues, kind of a, a variety of different issues, though. About 17%, or about $3 million, appeared to address a need that existed prior to COVID. So COVID didn't cause the issue. And in many cases, a covid related issue never really ended up materializing. Uh, these expenditures, though, they did not seem wasteful, and they often uh, addressed a, a community-wide need. Uh, so, for example, one county uh, spent almost $218,000 to add showers to a community emergency shelter. The county officials we talked to told us they identified the lack of showers as a problem uh, during previous uses of the shelter. Um, that building has not, at least so far, been used for any COVID-related reasons. Uh, an upgraded shelter, though, is probably very useful to the community, uh, but it wasn't directly related to COVID. Another 6%, or about a million dollars, uh, in spending just seemed, seemed a little ill-advised. Uh, the spending just didn't seem very cost-effective, or it seemed counterproductive. So, for example, one county spent $450,000 to start a new grocery store uh, in an underserved part of town. That store only lasted a few months. Uh, the consultant that reviewed the proposal flagged it as being high risk uh, because its necessity wasn't clear and it didn't appear feasible. Uh, the county officials uh, we talked to told us there were concerns about the project, but it went forward anyway. Uh, so there were multiple red flags about the fee about the feasibility of this of this project. It went through, uh, and then if, and then wasn't ultimately very success successful. It only lasted a few months. And so ultimately, the project just seemed a little bit ill advised. And then last, uh, the last category, which was only about one percent of the expenditures we reviewed, uh, it appeared wasteful or excessive. Uh, these were things like electronic signs, sports equipment lanyards for staff, 
uh, one recipient uh, spent a third of their grant on chalkboards, a, a blow-up tube man, and LED signs. Uh, but that grant was meant to purchase food for a food pantry. And so some of that is spending just appeared uh, either wasteful or excessive. Um, but overall, uh, most of the money that we reviewed here uh, did, did seem pretty reasonable. What were some of the factors that may have led to the concerns the team identified? So there really were several reasons um, and several things that we thought probably led uh, to, to what we saw here, but they were all really related to the federal rules. Uh, so really the spending time frame was very, very short. Uh, the money was distributed between June and September of 2020, uh, but initially all that money had to be spent by December of 2020. Uh, in December of 2020, the federal government did go ahead and extend uh, the time frame to December of 2021, but really by then it was too late. Uh, a lot of the expenditures that we reviewed had already been spent, and so uh, many of the recipients didn't really get to take advantage of that extended time frame. So because the, tight, the time frame was so tight, uh, there were a couple of things that happened. So first of all, there wasn't really sufficient time to require prior approval, which really is best practices. Uh, it, was a, it was a billion dollars that had to be spent very quickly. And so it really wasn't feasible to build a system that required a lot of prior approval before a recipient could, could spend their money. Uh, additionally, because that time, time frame was so tight, the counties did not really always have time to properly assess their needs. If you don't really know exactly the best ways to spend the money, uh, then it can be hard to spend that money in informed ways. Then there were a few other things. Uh, first of all, use it or lose it, which is essentially what this, these funds were. If you didn't spend it, the money was going to revert back to the state. Uh, but use it or lose it often incentivizes wasteful spending. Uh, often in that case, a recipient uh, may decide to spend money on something that is maybe not very defensible rather than lose it. And this can result in, in wasteful or unnecessary spending. Additionally, the federal rules were, were very broad and, you know, necessary wasn't really defined. And so when you have rules, especially spending rules that are kind of overly broad, it just increases the likelihood that money is going to be spent in ways that you didn't truly intend. And then last, uh, the spending didn't come with any uh, performance metrics. So you know, the recipient didn't have to accomplish anything particular. Uh, but having clear goals uh, you know, for a recipient to meet can help decision makers, they'll be a little more careful, can help them direct money to projects uh, that are likely to be successful. So kind of the combination of all of these things, um, again, kind of stemmed from the way the federal government set, set up some of these rules. Uh, but these were some of the things that we think really uh, caused some of the issues that we saw. Finally, what is the main takeaway of this audit? Well, the good news is, you know, we didn't see much that we think is likely to be unallowable. Uh, so, which means probably the counties, the agencies, the other recipients, they got the message on how to spend the money, uh, which is a very positive thing. On the other hand, about a quarter of the spending that we looked at did seem a little concerning in some way or another. Um, during field work, one of the consultants we talked to told us that an expenditure didn't have to be good public policy to be allowable. And some of the issues that we saw, we think really kind of demonstrated that sentiment. 
but most of those issues did stem from the federal rules and the way the federal government set up this program. Uh, ultimately, though, the things that we looked at that the state had control over, like the distribution process and providing training and things uh, along those lines, those things did appear reasonable and they did appear appropriate, uh, which, is, which is certainly a very positive thing. Heidi Zimmerman is a principal auditor at Legislative Post Audit. She supervised an audit that evaluated COVID relief funding and distribution. Heidi, thanks for visiting The Rundown and discussing the audit's findings with me. Thanks for having me, Andy. Thank you for listening to The Rundown. To receive newly released podcasts, subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. For more information about Legislative Post Audit and to read our audit reports, visit kslpa.org, follow us on Twitter at KSAudit, or visit our Facebook page.